Hey y'all, this is Byron. I uh, just want to put something out there. Yes, I am a mental health therapist. And yes, my couch is quite comfortable. However, if you're listening to this podcast, it is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a certified or licensed mental health therapist. So though I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me and hopefully gain some information and insight about what's going on with you from listening to this podcast, Take the time to seek out mental health resources in your area if you so need to. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Before I get started on the, uh, the speech that I have, um, I want to acknowledge all the lives that was lost Sunday morning. Alyssa Altabelli, John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, Peyton Chester, Sarah Chester, Christina Mauser, Ara Zabanya, Gianna Bryant, and Kobe Bryant. Now, I got something um, written down. You know, they asked me to kind of stay on course or whatever the case may be, but Laker Nation, man, I would be selling y'all short if I read off this shit, so I'm gonna go straight from the heart. The first thing that come to mind, man, is all about family. And as I look around this arena, we're all grieving. We're all hurt. We're all heartbroken. But when we're going through things like this, the best thing you can do is lean on the shoulders of your family. And from Sunday morning all the way to this point, now I heard about Laker Nation before I got here last year about how much of a family it is. And that is absolutely what I've seen this whole week, not only from the players, not only from the coaching staff, not only from the organization, but from everybody. Everybody that's here, this is really, truly, truly a family. And I know Kobe and Gianna and Vanessa and everybody, thank you guys from the bottom of their heart, as Kobe said. Now, I know at some point we will have a memorial for Kobe. But I look at this, I look at this as a celebration tonight. This is, this is a celebration of the 20 years of the blood, the sweat, the tears, the broken down body, the getting up, the sitting down, the everything, the countless hours, 
the determination to be as great as he could be. Tonight, we celebrate the kid that came here at 18 years of age. Retired at 38 and became probably the best dad that we've seen over the last three years, man. Tonight is a celebration. Before we get to play, love y'all, man. Kobe is a brother to me, and from the time I was in high school to watching him afar, to getting in this league at 18, watching him up close, all the battles that we had throughout my career, the one thing that we always shared is that determination to just want to win and just want to be great. And the fact that I'm here now means so much to me. I want to continue along with my teammates to continue his legacy, not only for this year, but as long as we can play the game of basketball that we love, because that's what Kobe Bryant will want. So in the words of Kobe Bryant, Mamba out, but in the words of us, not forgotten. Live on, brother. Hello there, and welcome back to The Captain's Couch. I'm your host, Byron Taylor. Thank you all, everybody, once again, for checking back in with your boy on the couch, who's actually not sitting on the couch. He's actually sitting in his bedroom in his desk chair next to his desk. That is next to the wall, which is by a window in my bedroom. Yeah. If you had sent a five-star review, you might have got me being in my bedroom today. But you didn't send me a five-star review. And I'm very sad by that. So, Amazon, play Tears by the Isley Brothers. Tears Ron Crying Alone version by the Isley Brothers from Tidal. That's right, y'all. So if you actually want to have a meeting in my bedroom, send me a five-star review. But this week instead, because I didn't get one, you get these tears, which are very appropriate for today's topic. Also, I love the Isley Brothers. Um, if you didn't know that about me, I am a humongous Isley Brothers fan. Um, yeah. And I like this song. This is like older Elder Statesman Isley Brothers prior to their um, R. Kelly uh, backed resurgence of the late to the late nineties, early two thousands. Because I think Babyface wrote this song. Supposed to cry in my home, I 
which is what we're definitely talking about today. Amazon, stop playing. So the topic of this week's conversation is I didn't think I would get more Kobe Bryant uh, (laughs) material out of Kobe's passing. But here we are yet again talking about the aftermath of Kobe Bryant's um, untimely death. And um, this week we're focusing on mourning and grief and um, how we as black men need to do a better job of being willing and able to grieve and as people in general, not just black people, but as a society, how we need to actually take stock in the totality of people's lives. Even as a basketball fan, like seeing the visual reaction of uh, men who I've spent either a small portion of my life or a considerable portion of my life um, entertained me through the game of basketball, shedding um, tears of sorrow. And not like the tears that you see in victory, because I think as a society, we've normalized the idea of, you know, when you you crying tears of happiness because of something that you accomplished but to see just tears of just utter just sorrow was something very different and very new um for me i think even as a basketball fan um this article i found from the grio um says uh that's entitled um what kobe Bryant's death has taught me about how black men mourn um the author is blue uh tilisima that um, she talked about um, a friend of hers who was a basketball fan um, um, that called her was that, you know, finding out the news that Kobe had died. Um, she says, uh, when he walked back in two minutes later, the stunned expression on his face let me know something had beaten him. Somebody had beat him to the punch because um, she was trying to get a hold of him and let him know about what happened. Um, he looked gutted, his eyes wet with unshed tears his usual smile replaced by a tight grimace of disbelief. Um, The next few hours of film festival activities were a blur. We went to a swank brunch where we'd been decided to attend that morning, but now the chatter of shiny industry folks milled about felt meaningless. Um, The careful prepared gourmet food plated before us tasted dull and almost heavy with sorrow. I tried to distract myself by small talk with folks seated at the table, but every time I looked at my phone, a new detail would come out. Kobe was on a flight with his daughter Gianna when he died. They were headed to her game to speak to a crowd of excited kids. There were seven other fatalities on the flight, making it worse. TMZ broke the news before the family was ever even notified. It just began to feel like a constant barrage of bad news with each update digging the knife deeper into the cuts in our chest. Finally, we stood backstage waiting for a film panel to begin. My dear friend, who I always tease about not showing emotions, threw his phone down and let himself cry. As I leaned over to rub his back and console him in my periphery, I noticed three other black men in our vicinity staring off in the distance, holding back tears of their own. Then it hit me that even though we were all mourning the loss of Kobe Bryant for brothers in particular, this one hit different. 
So she goes on to talk to mention um, when death is swift and cruel. And I know for for myself how this feels. Um, I've gone through two deaths in the past couple of years that were just swift, that seemed like they were coming out of nowhere that um, are still kind of hard to process in my mind of two people who were in their own rights and in their own ways, humongous figures in my life and my uncle and my aunt that, you know, I look up and as my brother's about to get married in, in five days, they're not here. And I know that with especially with my aunt that this would be a celebration and a time where she would shine and 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 do her thing that i know that when i think about it i'm not gonna see her laughing and joking and smiling and partying along with us and the car games are not gonna be there this week and well i mean they might be because ken will be here and you know mike will be here but it it's just not the same um, but when we, when we talk about Kobe, it's like we look at the players and how each of them have are been having to try to come to grips with this loss. Like, I mean, you know, the first game was the Rockets and Nuggets. Um, and you see the, the picture of Tyson Chandler just sitting on the bench, just crying, shaking his head, just like, you know, not being able to put it into 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 words. You know, um, um, the article goes on and says. Um, as someone who has dealt with mourning the mourning process a lot over the last two years it has been my lived experience that there is death and then there is sudden death both are painful but the latter has an extra bite to it that leaves you feeling um, as if you've been betrayed by time also wishing you could go back and savor moments you previously took for granted and I know this for sure I know exactly how this feels, you know, especially because when I think about it, especially with my Aunt Elaine, um, you know, when my uncle, when my uncle died, my uncle's death was the precipice before the divorce. It was the the thing that I knew, you know, his passing was the moment in time that told me that, yeah, I have to live for my happiness and not live in fear of what comes next so like his passing was like the last thing that like held me back from seeking the divorce so when he died and i came back and you know things weren't things were just exactly as they were and you know that's when i made the decision of like okay look i can't do this anymore but with my aunt's passing you know i was in a i'm in a different phase in my life and, you know, I came to the realization that, like, after the funeral, it was like, oh, my God, I never did get to tell her about Alex. I never got to tell her about her. You know, and I was sitting talking with my nana and I was talking with my aunt. Um, my Aunt Willie is just like, oh, my God, I never did, like, tell Aunt Elaine about this. And now she's not here. <sighs> yeah. That still kind of hurts. Um, but when we look at Kobe, you know, he was a North star of sorts. We grew up with him. And I mean, I know I did. Like I started, Kobe came in the league when I was 12 years old, you know, and I'm about to be 36 in a couple of days. Um, so yeah, 
whether we realize it or not, his mortality was tied to our own with his death um, feeling sort of abstract and distant. Um, but uh, the Mamba was equal parts myth and man. As accessible as he was to several generations of sports fans, to men, to black men in particular, he was flesh and, bl and blood and a reminder of what we could achieve and evolve into even after making potentially life damaging mistakes. And put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that. Um, let's be real. Um, this world, particularly this country, is not good, is not known for giving black men second chances or even first ones. Um, since enslavement of men have been seen as property, sexually deviant brutes with no humanity or tenderness to speak of. They have been portrayed as feeling as unfeeling caricatures and dismissed as emotionally unintelligent aggressors who only seek to pound their chests and assert their dominance while instilling um, fear in the hearts of women and their white counterparts. Um, the saddest part is many of us have bought into this image of ourselves that black men are supposed to be things and not people. Um, and like, you know, the song says, as Ron says, is like a, a, a man's not supposed to cry. And, um, you know, one thing that I've come to grips with is being more open to crying. And even myself, even as a mental health professional. I've struggled with crying like I, I can remember that even in the times where my marriage was like extremely difficult. The only time I would ever actually cry in front of my ex-wife was when like I was angry. I remember I remember a time where where we were struggling like as a couple and she was struggling mentally and emotionally and everything. And and this was coming off the heels of her getting sick and getting better and I was in graduate school and you know I was I was struggling trying to you know keep the boat afloat while you know she just kind of was just like well I'm just gonna do whatever I want to do and you're gonna have to deal with it and you know I remember I remember we get into an argument and like, I'm angry and I'm like, you know, if you're saying that you're going to support me, then please support me. Like, I need you to, you know, get a hold of yourself and get a hold of your issues because I can't do all of this. I can't go to school. I can't work. I can't deal with you, you know, wilding out on me. I can't deal with not like trying to take care of not. I can't deal with trying to take care of your mom all of this and like I remember just like screaming and crying just like then I need you to support me like all like it was it was so hard like and I knew I've gotten more comfortable with crying like you know when <laughs> I knew I got more comfortable with crying when I'm sitting in an end game and just losing my just losing it just crying when Tony Stark died like you know, I cried during Hidden Figures. Um, you know, um, I cried. I teared up and cried. Um, I think during the Last Jedi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I cried during the Last Jedi when when Luke and Leia had a uh, moment before Luke, you know, died. You know, especially knowing that Carrie Fisher died. So like, like actually died. So I'm like crying. Like damn. Like this is. 
this is hard. <laughs> um, but let's be real about this. Kobe was flawed, you know, and I'm going to talk about this towards the end of the conversation. Um, and I know it may feel like I'm kind of all over the place. One, I'm hungry and I probably should have ate before I recorded. But two, when I talk about grief and I talk about, you know, death and loss, like even as a mental health professional, this is a conversation that is really hard for me to really talk about because I'll be honest with you, like I do fear death. I fear and I am afraid at times of my own, you know, the idea of facing my own mortality. And as my daughter gets older, you know, I had the conversation with her, of like, you know, I often joke about with her, of like, you know, stop getting older, you know, because I'm getting older. And it's not because, you know, she's growing into her own and she's going to be a sexual being of her own at some point. And that's not exactly something that I can um, control, but it's more so that the older you get, the older I get and the older your grandparents get and the older your great grandparents get. And I struggle with the notion of these people who have been vital to my life, who have built foundations and built legacies and have celebrated me and I've celebrated them. And, you know, they've been everything to me that there will be a day that my Nana won't be here and my 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 papa won't be here and my grandma won't be here and my mom and dad won't be here. I struggle with that idea of having to let go of those people on this plane of existence. So I may joke with Nia of like, you know, I don't want you to get older or whatever, but it's more so that is that joke is my defense mechanism for my fear of I know that these things are going to happen and I don't want them to. And I know there's nothing I can do to stop them from happening. But when we talk about Kobe, we, we, we talk about really truthfully, and I, and I appreciate uh, Fina for uh, making a post about this, is that when we look at Kobe's story, it's a redemption song. Um, it's a constant reminder that they can be more than whatever box society chose to put him in. Kobe was, he was the brother, the childhood friend, the superhero that we all needed um, to tap into whenever... Um, Things elsewhere in the, in the world um, conspired to tell us that we weren't good enough. Um, he is a redemption story. And, you know, I kind of bounced back and forth about what I wanted to talk about in the session this week between, you know, how we grieve and how we mourn as black men and even as in black and society in general. Because I had another article that talked about um, the strong black woman and um, Khalif Browner's mom and how. It was difficult for her to, you know, really grieve his death um, and, you know, following his time and his imprisonment. Um, but like and and oddly enough, I have not watched that documentary about Cleve uh, Browder um, kind of in the same way that I haven't watched um, Fruitville Station. Um, you know, the article that I pulled up is, you know, entitled can I grieve? And it talks about like the kind of historical, you know, um, place that black people have, have had in American history and that so much of our experiences have been focused on or revolved around grief because of just the constant, you know, assault and violence that we have 
um, succumb to due to racism and due to the weight of it and the um, the systematic plight that we've endured, you know, the constant attack on our bodies that have often gone unpunished or um, the unfortunate ways that systemically we have been targeted and beaten down. You know, it talks about the strong black woman trope and how, you know, with like Khalif Browder's mom, um, she passed away like not even very long after his suicide. Um, let me see. Let's see. Yeah, she died on this is loading again. Um, October 14th, 2016. Um, the reported cause of death was complications from a heart attack. Uh, maybe the reality it was complicated. Maybe maybe the reality is that she died from complications. Um, 16 months earlier, her son, Khalif Browder, had died of suicide. Um, three years earlier, he had been released from Rikers Island, where he had spent 400 of a thousand days incarcerated in solitary confinement. Three years before that, he was arrested on suspicion of stealing a backpack. Um, his mother was only 63 years old. Um, think about the amount of grief that she had had to endure in that time frame that likely caused an untimely death. Um, you know, the article also talks about that our grief as a community plays is mentioned in a part of our, the Black National Anthem. You know, um, the article about Kobe mentions that, you know, since the time of slavery, that black men have not been afforded the opportunity to grieve. And that's very true. Like, I mean, as a therapist, I've talked with with some of my, my black boys before and. You know, the idea and I've talked about vulnerability on the podcast before, but the idea of of crying is seen as weak. You know, um, the article, the Kobe article goes on to say it's OK to cry. Uh, black people are probably some of the proudest and most unflinching human beings on the planet. And our men in particular excel as, excel at this. Um, as a result, many of us women go can go years or perhaps even a whole lifetime never seeing the brothers around us shed a tear. Um, well, if you were paying attention, Alex, it only took you uh, like eight months of knowing me that I cried, but you probably weren't looking because you were looking at the screen, but like I was crying. But no, I no, I, I joke about that, but I did tell her that like I did cry um, during Endgame, and she didn't notice, but, like, I was crying, <laughs> but I did tell her after the fact, I was like, yeah, I just started crying, and I just couldn't stop, and I was just like, what is happening, why am I crying, <laughs> but, I mean, it was impactful, um, the side effect of this is that we often forget how vulnerable and human black men can be, um, but since Sunday, I've seen, I've, I've seen who I honestly didn't know even had tear ducts sobbing like little children, both in real life and on my TV screen. Um, it's been a bittersweet reminder of how much, quote unquote, stuff they hold in every day and teach themselves to put a, push aside. Um, especially like in the situation of like Shaq, because um, Shaq had a complicated relationship with Kobe when they were teammates. And, you know, hearing Shaq, you know, mourn over over Kobe and grieve over Kobe was like was was insane almost to me. 
Um, you know, with Tracy McGrady, you know, I guess that was a little bit different. Like, I could see where T-Mac, you know, you know, had a good relationship with Kobe and seeing that, you know, T-Mac just crying tears, especially over uh, over Gigi because he was close with Gigi, you know, and uh, it was it's so much, man. Like, I mean, seeing LeBron cry over over Kobe, you know, like uh, we, we I put it on the top of the show this today. Um, and he held it together pretty well in the speech, but you hear him cracking up a bit when he talked about how Kobe was a good father, had grown to become a good father. Um, but, you know, seeing Braun off the airplane in L.A. when the Lakers landed the day, you know, the day Kobe died, the day after he passed Kobe on the all-time scoring list and seeing LeBron just the six foot eight, 250-pound solid muscle mountain of a man just decimated. I didn't think I could ever see that in my lifetime. Seeing Shaquille O'Neal, the most dominant center in NBA history. Um, you know, a dude who I grew up watching that was absolutely larger in life that I was just hurt as a um, 12-year-old kid when he left the Magic to go to L.A. to see him break down. And, and this is on the heels of Shaq dealing with um, the passing of his stepfather, who was his dad, who was an you know, an immensely strong presence in his life to him losing his sister to now Kobe. And, you know, Shaq, Shaq broke down and he was talking about, you know, how, you know, I'll, I'm not good about reaching out to people, you know, and he was talking to, uh, to Kenny and, and Chuck and, and Ernie and Ernie was, uh, you know, comforting him. He's like, you know, I'm not good about reaching out to people. I get in my own thing and I'm busy and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, I got to do a better job of reaching out, you know, um, so the, the author goes on to say the last few days revealed have revealed that black men don't feel any less than the rest of us or hurt any less than we do either. They're just, they have much less freedom to show it. So when I knew what, what I was going to write about with this piece today, I asked many of them flat out, why does this hurt so much? In summation, they said they felt blindsided and deeply wounded to lose someone they identified so intimately with. Um, one went on to say that he felt that society needed to let us have this, uh, let us have this wake for Kobe. Let us play our pickup basketball games in his honor. Let us hug our children, kiss our wives, dap our friends. Let us cry together and surprise everyone who doesn't think that we're people. So out of respect, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to let black men mourn, hold the space for them to put their armor, to put down their armor and remind them it's okay to weep for a uh, weep for as long and as hard as they need to because um, the unexpected but the incredibly soul-steering silver lining of this tragedy is that the men in our lives are finally allowing themselves to feel, show vulnerability in ways I'm not sure that they even knew they were capable of. I'd like to think that Kobe, the older, wiser family man who planned to dedicate the rest of his life to uplifting his community, will be proud to know that this too gets to be part of his amazing and complicated legacy. Um, so let me focus in more of this on the psychological perspective for the fellas that are listening to this, right? Um, 
this is an article from Brandon Jones. Now, we're going to get to the complicated legacy of Kobe Bryant in a minute. So, um, this is from Brandon Jones, who is a um, master's degree level mental health professional, uh, practitioner. Uh, hey, what's up, bro? Uh, I'm one of those, too. So, grief is normal. It is natural. And it is often deeply painful response to loss. The death of a loved one is more common than we think. But other significant changes in one's life involve, involving the loss and therefore grief that we may experience. And we all go through it at some time. You know, I talked about how I've gone through it. And this will be a year next month since my aunt's passing. Um which I know I'm going to check in with my, mom, with my mom that day because I know mom will probably be, it'll be hard for her, especially because it's all in the same week as my uncle's passing as well. Quick show note um, before we get into the show today, I will be guest appearing on the Highly Inappropriate podcast with the homie uh, Cook. Um, I'll be recording that tonight, so... Well, this is Sunday. I'm recording this. So the show will be out on Tuesday. Of course, obviously, no one of my podcasts come out on Tuesday. Um, I'm not exactly sure when Cook's putting it out, but I do want to let y'all know that I will be on that podcast, um, the Highly Inappropriate Podcast uh, with Cook that we're going to be recording that tonight. So check your boy out. And whenever Co- uh, Cook uh, divvies out the show link and everything, I'll put it on the Captain's Couch uh, socials and stuff like that. So you can check me out on there and check uh, Cook out. Uh, I got to meet her last year, which uh, she's really, really hilarious, fun, fun person to be around. It was, it was cool to finally be able to meet her and everything. And of course, this was all around the time I met Alex too. So she got to. <laughs> I wonder if we'll talk about uh, the whole karaoke thing um, when we went out to do karaoke, um, and she tried to do "Send for Me" by Atlantic Star. I should have went up there and helped her. That's my bad, Cook. Um, I know the words to the song, um, so I should have went up there and helped. But uh, she very much was like, when she saw me and Alice together, she was like, A, B, like, this is a good look for you. I like this. So that was really cool. Shout out to Cook. So I look forward to that doing that tonight. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast already in progress. Um, I meant to do that at the beginning of the podcast, and I was going to just add it in there, but that would have sounded weird for me doing my sexy low voice to me doing my regular voice. So we'll just do it here in the middle of the podcast. So why is grief important to black men? Right, Grief creates an obstacle in our development as men. We lose so much as men um, that we often um, take these experiences and normalize them. Grief is often misunderstood as an often misunderstood and neglected process in life. The complexities in responding to death or significant loss and when we talk about grief, especially when I work work with my kids, um, let's not focus grief in on just the death of somebody. Grief can also be grieving the present, the lack of a presence of an important person. It could be the loss of a relationship. It could be the you know grieving the end of a relationship. It can be the grieving the end of a job opportunity or grieving the end of a chapter in your life like i mean we see with athletes the grief that comes with retirement and that is a thing that can that can be a very 
hard process for especially men, black men to figure out is what comes next in my life as I'm grieving this process of, okay, well now I've been this athlete and this has been who I've been labeled as for this significant portion of my life. Now, what comes next? Who am I now without this sport? Um, the complexity in responding to death or significant loss is often awkward, uncomfortable, even frightening. So we try to avoid dealing with grief. Um, this can make this experience even more lonely and unhappy than it might otherwise be. And black male culture accepting grief and not processing it through has been accepted, has been an accepted element within manhood. Um, this development, this develops a mental and emotional void within our development and functioning as men. And I'm going to highlight one of the ways that that manifests in um, how we deal with grief shortly once I get through this this uh this article um it is dangerous for many of the black men developing uh, many the black boys developing into men um to be subjected subjected to this amount of grief it leads to conscious and subconscious levels of helplessness and help hopelessness um once these emotional or mental conditions are introduced into the development of a man they create a ripple effect of this function. And when we talk about helplessness and hopelessness, part of the ways that that manifests can be depression. Um, sometimes with helplessness, we fight back helplessness through anger um, because we feel like anger is the only way to express the feeling of I, I feel this way and no one can seem to help me with um, this feeling that I'm that I'm expressing. So how can we learn to express our grief more fully as black men? Um, we can seek out caring people who understand and or join support groups. Express your feelings. It'll help you work through your grieving process. Crying offers a release. So don't hold it back. Don't listen to Ron Osley. It's okay to cry because Ron Osley's crying. Don't let the song cry. You can physically cry. Um, use a method to document the healing process. Um, it'll help you get your feelings out and work through the process to document the healing process. Um, take care of your health. Maintain constant contact with your physician. Um, be sure to eat well and get plenty of sleep. Be aware of the uh, development of dependence on medication, drugs, or alcohol. Accept that life is for the living. Now, that is an Isaac Brothers quote that I will fully endorse. That life is for the living. So let's live it, baby. Yeah. Um, that's a don't say goodnight by Isaac Brothers, by the way. Um, it takes effort to begin to live again in the present and not dwell on the past. Postpone major life changes. Try to hold off from making any major changes such as moving, changing jobs, or having children when you're dealing with grief. Um, you should give yourself time to adjust to your loss before adding additional life responsibilities. Um, be patient. It can take months or even years to absorb a major loss and accept that your life has changed. Um, be sure to take time. Take the time that you need. Um, but do plan to move forward with your life. Um, the last thing that we can do is seek outside help when necessary. Remember, 
We talked about here about being being vulnerable. If you're struggling with grief, seek outside help. And I'll do an additional uh, session one day about the difference between complicated or just kind of normal grief, complicated grief, and then what's the difference between complicated grief and um, depression. And I'll have a special guest one of these days to talk about grieving and dealing with those things um, somewhere down the line. So how is grief connected to black masculinity? Um, as black men in America, our position is complex and frustrating. We live in a world dominated in, by white male patriarchy. However, um, we may be the least powerful ethnic group of men, especially in the United States, which, mm, yeah, I guess I can kind of see that when we look at the historical context of it all. I mean, maybe Native American um, males may be lower than us as black men, but we kind of, as far as the, the uh, historically speaking, when it comes to ethnic groups, African-Americans and Native Americans, I think, have had the mo the prolonged effects of white male patriarchy and racism when it comes to the development of America, um, where, of course, the Natives were here and were systematically decimated by, you know, manifest destiny. And then, of course, slavery. So, yeah. Um, but black males lose opp opportunities, relationships, connections to networks. And the concept of a, of a legacy um, whenever we're dealing with our grief. Um, I totally jumped. Good old ADHD there. Um, whether one agrees with patriarchy or not, the fact that the fact of the matter is that in society as we know it today, having men in productive and organized systems leads to communities' abilities to advance and maintain um, the positions of stability. So, however, when black men have lost their ability to maintain their level of control over themselves, their families, or their communities, this leads to significant grief. And then, I don't know, that kind of went in a circular way that he finished that statement. That Anyway, grief is something that we as black men have to learn how to better express and manage and deal with because it's normal. It's normal to be sad at things like losing Kobe. It's normal to be sad at, you know, the death of Prince. It's normal to be sad at the death of Michael Jackson. And yes, all three of these men are complicated figures in their own right. As you can hear Leela in the background. But when we talk about complicated legacies that people maintain, let's talk about this whole thing with Gail Kim. Oh, Gail King, Gail Kim. I've been watching a lot of wrestling uh, YouTube videos lately. Gail Kim is an Asian American woman who was a wrestler in TNA and WWE. Wow, what did I just do there? I knew I was going to do it too. Jesus Christ. Gail King. So Gail King um, had an interview with Lisa Leslie where she asked Lisa Leslie about did does Kobe's rape uh, allegations and sexual assault case from 2003-2004 complicate his legacy. So the the droves of people came out on social media to basically lambast and um you know rake Gail King across the coals and the dragging uh 
that only social media can do and drag people from LeBron. Like, even the subtle things of LeBron saying protect Lisa Leslie at all costs to Snoop being vulgar as hell to um, Ari Lennox calling her a coon. Um, Here's the thing. It is perfectly okay to be in mourning and to grieve the loss of this gigantic figure like Kobe Bryant. You know, he, I mean, honestly, like, he's one of the top five, top ten greatest basketball players ever. You know, I literally watched that man's entire career from the time he came to the league to the time he retired. But he was complicated. He had his faults. He made his mistakes. Huge ones that could have jeopardized his entire career. That changed the the life of, of a woman, of another person who very easily could have wrecked and destroyed his own marriage. You know, these are things that did happen. And his legacy as a basketball player was complicated by that. Just like his legacy as a person, as a man, was complicated by that the, the that that happening, that incident. But it is not disrespectful of his life and his legacy to ask the question of, does this complicate things? Now, yes, you know, Gail King is asking Lisa Leslie, somebody who did have a personal relationship with Kobe Bryant, who, of course, Lisa Leslie played, grew up, you know, I, I didn't realize she actually grew up in L.A. Um, she went to school in Inglewood. Um, but she also was, you know, the Hall of Fame player for the L.A. Sparks for her entire WNBA career. And a figure in her own right in the city of Los Angeles and the sports community. But, you know, I, I can understand that. You know, when you ask the question of somebody who has an intimate relationship with Kobe, that it may come off as being disrespectful or come off as a callous question. But it and and honestly, in, in totality, when we look at how Gail, you know, kind of phrased the question of asking, asking her, does this complicate his legacy and how he's remembered as opposed to the Washington Post article that literally just labeled Kobe, Kobe Bryant as nothing but a sexual a sexual uh, predator, you know, when we look at that, when we look at the Washington Post article, it literally devoids and robs the robs Kobe of the finishing part of his story where he wasn't just that he was someone who sought redemption and was able to seemingly gain redemption, you know, it's it's kind of like what I talked about before when we look at like Michael Vick as opposed to like OJ Simpson. When all said and done with, with Michael Vick, Michael Vick has done what he needed to do to gain a measure of redemption. Where with OJ Simpson, he has not. Um, and when it comes to Kobe, um, especially when it comes to having this discussion about black women and the way that we treat black women in society. This article literally says, this article is literally entitled, and I quote, we do not need to destroy Gayle King to preserve Kobe Bryant's legacy. Gayle King is doing her job. As a journalist, you are given the opportunity to write these stories 
you know, in a more overarching, comprehensive manner. I've heard Pablo Torre talk about, you know, the complicated, you know, legacy of Kobe Bryant. I've heard, I've heard Bomani Jones talk about it. Jamel Hill wrote about it. Um, I think Harry Champion talked about it. To ask the question, does that impact his legacy, is not disrespectful of his legacy because it's part of his story. It is a part of his story. It is not the totality of his story, but it's a very significant part of it. Um, just like when Bill Cosby goes on to glory, we're going to have the conversation about what Bill Cosby did that was good for the community, the, the impact of the Cosby show, the impact of his comedy career. But we're also going to talk about Bill Cosby as a sexual predator who was kind of unrepentant about what he did. We're also going to talk about Bill Cosby, the dude who literally spent years shitting on large segments of black of black pop culture and black entertainment because he didn't see it as being up to his standard of being quote unquote squeaky clean. Whether we're talking about Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Rick, uh, Rick Fox, Red Fox, the hip hop community in general, we're going to have those conversations about how Bill Cosby was a unrepentant hypocrite. But those conversations need to be in their totality. But when it comes to grief and where a lot of this comes from is one, massage noir. I'm not too big of a fan of that word, but, you know, that's what it is. Massage noir against black women. To the misogyny and the the, stereo, the the stereotypes that we as black men take, continuously reinforce of, you're not going to talk bad about a black man. He did some bad shit. It's perfectly okay to, to have the conversation of these things impact his legacy because they do. They impacted his legacy while he was alive. Um, but here's the thing that when we just had this conversation last week about being a girl dad, one of the things about being a girl dad is being a virtuous man and showing yourself in a way that stands up for women and that stands up and shows a good example for the girls in your lives. This ain't a good way to show that if you're one of those guys out here caping for, you know, Kobe in the way that destroys Gail, uh, Gail King or you're, you're actively targeting Gail King for what she said. You know, she's doing her job and she's doing her job effectively by pointing out that, OK, this thing does complicate his legacy. Do you have that? Do you have those feelings? Does that, you know, shape how you see things um, in that way? You know, does this shape how you kind of maintain your relationship? Do you and him talk about what his what happened or how he kind of was able to bounce back from that? Um, but we can have those conversations and we can talk about you know, how complex people are without then trying to destroy another black woman for doing her job and um, doing it in a more effective way because you are literally framing this as, hey, you know, I know this person was perfect, was not perfect. He was flawed. He made his mistakes. He grew from those mistakes. But does that complicate things a little bit? Because in truth, in, in totality, it does. We will mourn people in our lives who are complicated figures. We will mourn people who are directly attached to us, 
whom we had complicated relationships with. That is a normal part of life and is a normal part of the grieving process. And I know that in this society, we always try to act like when a person dies, we can only say nothing but good things about them. But if we're being honest and true to their story, we can talk about how complicated they were and how complex that they were, because that gives that person much more realness. When we talk about Muhammad Ali, we talk about the great things that we did, that he did. We talk about how groundbreaking he was, but we also can talk about how problematic he could have been at times, you know. But it's not fair that we only want to focus on the good. We need to be willing to be open and vulnerable to our grief and process this person for the good and the bad that they exhibited in life. And if the good outweighs the bad, then, hey, perfect. Awesome. Let's focus on the good then. Right. But let's not let's not focus on the good and completely act like the bad never happened. Let's not do that because it does a disservice to that person's life. Because if in Kobe's and Kobe's story, if we act like Colorado never happens, we don't get to really further celebrate and applaud the man who he evolved into. If we act like the dogfighting thing never happened with Michael Vick, we don't get to celebrate the redemption and the evolution of a dude who went from the cocky, arrogant, you know, everybody, everybody support Michael Vick to the man who literally was like, I made my mistakes and I'm thankful that I got a second chance, that I got to right this wrong and I got to evolve and grow because I don't know if I ever would have, even as a football player, I don't think I ever would have gotten better had I not gone to jail, had I not had to lose everything in order to try to fight to get it back. So we can have discussions about the good and the bad about somebody when they pass away while we're grieving without trying to tear other people down for wanting to acknowledge the bad because it's part of their story. And when somebody dies, that whole story has to get told. You know, there there is this uh, uh, one of my clients said something to me the other day. He was like, I heard this quote, Mr. B, Mr. Barn, he ain't called Mr. B. He's like, I heard this quote, Mr. Barn, is that everybody's got a chapter that they don't, everybody has a chapter in their story that they don't read aloud. So this is a chapter that we don't want to read aloud with Kobe, but this is a chapter that we should because it better frames the evolution and the redemption that he sought for and was able to gain before he lost his life. So with that being said, do better, guys. Fellas, do better. You want to be a girl dad? You got to do better. You got to treat the women that are surrounding your girls that your girls will look up to better. So with that being said, thank you so much for joining me here on the Captain's Couch. Leave a five-star review for your boy, and I will play sexy music for you if you do. Uh, that, that is gender, uh, gender uh, inclusive. Don't matter. You'll get sexy music if you listen to this podcast and you send me a five-star review. Um, also, don't forget to check your boy out on um, Highly Inappropriate Podcast with uh, the homie Cook. Um, I'll be recording that tonight. Um, of course, the episode 
my episode drops on Tuesdays, you know. So whenever Cook drops that thing off, I will let you all know. We'll be back next week, and I'll probably recap EJ's wedding, and we'll talk about some other good things here on the couch. Talk to you later. Oh, Wednesday is my birthday. So if you're listening to this and you want to send your boy something on PayPal or Cash App for his birthday, do so. Yep. Go on, do that. Um, PayPal, uh, Taylor 23 at gmail.com. Cash app is the little dollar sign thingy. Tussin B23. Your boy's turning 36. Send him money. You're welcome, America. Peace. Congregation, would you turn your text to the book about cash? Chapter 2, verse 1. The first one to feel me. Jump up and make a joyful noise. Use our cast it. Meaning, now you have a choice like that. You'll be waiting.